were like three million Jews. And God brought them out of Egypt. God saved them, just like God saved you. God brought you out of Egypt as well, you know. Um, they were in bondage. They were slaves. And God set them free. God gave ten plagues. God provided for them in the wilderness every single day of their life. He gave them manna to eat. He gave them water from the rock. He gave them victory over their you know, enemies. I mean, God just did such an amazing work for them. But since the get-go, from the very beginning, they never really, really, truly served the Lord. And we're going to see that today. You know, God is so gracious uh, to us. But, you know, and there are some of you here, I know you're probably doing pretty good, but, you know, truly, are you completely sold out to Jesus Christ? I mean, does he have every chamber of your heart? Seriously, does he? You know, a lot of times, you know, I know for myself, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and, you know, and I have to examine my life. I really do, my prayer life. God has been so good to me and you know these are the convictions that he gives to me regarding prayer and 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 there's really no reason to fall short god is good and god is gracious but what we find happened with the children of israel is uh kind of like a little boy i read a story about a little boy who fell out of bed it was like a thump you guys ever do that you ever fall out of bed probably not huh this is the bunk bed huh And so what ended up happening was uh, his mom came into the room and she said, what happened, mijo? And he said, oh, I guess I fell asleep a little too close to the place that I got in. <laughs> and I think a lot of Christians do that. They, they get in, but in one sense, they fall asleep too close to the place that they got in. And God is just saying, you know, I love you so much. Isn't it time for you to walk worthy? I mean, isn't it time for you to study my word? Isn't it time for you to, you know, come and not see prayer as a burden, but see prayer as a blessing? You know, what we find the children of Israel did is they never really, and we're going to see that today in our study explicitly, and it's, it's a lesson for us. The Bible says that all these things were written for our own admonition. Manasseh was the worst king Judah ever had. Look at verse 1. He was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Now, when you read 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it says he reigned 45 years. And what we believe, uh, most scholars believe, is that he was co-regent with his father for 10 years. And that, that, that tells us a lot, because you guys know who his father was. His father was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly man. He was a godly man. And now we see Manasseh, his son, he became king at 12. He reigned with his father for 10 years. He reigned for 55 years. That's the longest reign of any king of Judah. And, uh, and yet, we read in verse 2 that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You know... Um, there's a lesson there. There's a, something that we need to hold on to. As a general rule of thumb, if you raise your children in the ways of the Lord, they're going to serve the Lord. You know, there's that general rule of thumb. There's even the promise, right, in Proverbs 22. It says that if you raise a child in the ways of the Lord when he's old, he won't depart from it. But as you know, we all know, those are just general rules. 
Does that mean that every godly parent has a guarantee that his children are going to be saved? No, right? Because they have to choose themselves. And so, you know, I'm not saying that Hezekiah was the greatest dad. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. I know he loved the Lord. You know, there's another great man of God uh, by the name of Samuel. You guys know Samuel, right? His sons did not serve the Lord either. Uh, they took bribes. And that's why eventually the children of Israel said they wanted a king because they said, your sons don't serve the Lord. And so, you know, it's important for us to know that even if you are the best parent in the world, it doesn't guarantee that your children are going to serve the Lord. Now, having said that, I want to encourage you to be a great parent. Do the best you can. Ask God for wisdom. Um, in raising our children, it's tough, but you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're all different. You've got to pray for them. You've got to be an example to them. But here we have an example of an individual, um, Manasseh, who did not serve the Lord even though his father was so godly. And not only that, you know, he, he, he didn't just not serve the Lord. He was the worst. He was the worst king that Judah ever had. After Hezekiah, which is probably maybe the second, third godliest kings, now his son is the worst king. You know, it's interesting. Over in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 37, it talks about how, you know, some of the guys in the hall of faith, they were killed, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. Imagine that, taking a guy's body and just sawing him in two, okay? Imagine that. Well, what happened was tradition tells us that that man that was sawn in two was Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah's a godly man, right? And the man who had him sawn in two was Manasseh, the guy that we're reading about right now, the worst king. He was the worst. Haley's Bible Handbook said that he rebuilt the idols his father Hezekiah destroyed, and he reestablished Baal worship. He burned his own children, and he filled Jerusalem with blood. You know, look at what it says right here in our text. It says in verse 2, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Notice it says in verse 3 that he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. I mean, he did evil. He rebuilt those altars. And if you remember, those altars were the ones that no other king had torn down, they would go and they would offer sometimes to the Lord, but to other gods as well. Hezekiah did such a great job in cleaning house, but now his son comes, he does evil, he rebuilds those altars. Notice it says right here, he raised up altars, in verse 3, for Baal. I mean, and he made a wooden image, we're going to see later, that's Asherah. That's the goddess that was considered to be a consort of the god El, and then eventually the god Baal. She was considered to be the progenitor to other gods. She was a god when you worshipped her, you would go and you would indulge in sexual activities. This is what they were doing. This is what Manasseh was setting up. He was rebuilding these things according to the work of Ahab, king of Israel. It says that he worshipped 
even the host of heaven and serve them. You know, and here's the thing, you guys. All of these are dealt with in the word of God. God had, you know, you read the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy was the book that Jesus quoted the most. Um, It's a great book. There's wonderful words in there as Moses speaks for the last 30 days of his life and he reiterates the commands that God had given him. It was his final words. But what you find is that all these things are dealt with in the book of Deuteronomy. All of them are. You know, when they, God said, I don't want you worshiping Baal. God said, I don't want you worshiping Asherah. God said, I don't want you offering your children in the fire. God said, I don't want you worshiping the host of heaven. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. I mean, what I'm trying to say is this, that the things that they were struggling with were things that were specifically forbidden in the word of God. It wasn't like ambiguous. They weren't gray matters. They were things that were clear. And if, if, if only they would have studied the word of God. You know what's interesting, you guys, is the next uh, chapter is the King Josiah. And under King Josiah, he becomes king at the age of eight. And eight years into his, uh, his reign, he really begins to seek the Lord. So at 16 years old, he really begins to seek the Lord. And then what ends up happening is uh, he starts cleaning the land out. And then, I think it's 12 years into his reign, they find the word of God in the temple. Want to know why? They had lost it. They had lost the Bible. Well, this is an iPad, but you know, the Bible. You know, and... And, and, you know, for us as a church, and I want to tell you guys this, there's a lot of churches, you don't have to take your Bible anymore. You know, they'll, they'll put one verse up there, and then next thing you know, they don't read anything. That's why I really encourage you, bring your Bible. And I can say, oh, look what it says there, look what it says there. You know, they're loose, the, it's like the, the, the Bible's lost in some churches. Some churches you go to, and they might elaborate on one verse, and then, but they don't really elaborate on it. Other, other, other people, they don't read their Bibles. They don't read them. You know, they don't wake up in the morning and get their cup of coffee or whatever, you know, however you do it. They don't read their Bible. They don't know their Bible. And, and so, you know, that's part of the challenge. Part of the challenge is uh, we don't know what God tells us to do. We don't know what's forbidden from him. We don't know uh, the milk of the word or the meat of the word. When I got saved in 1989, I didn't need anybody to hit me over the head to tell me to read my Bible every day. I didn't. I know. I don't know why, but by God's grace, I just knew it was the Holy Spirit. He said, you got to get in the Word every day. you got to get in the Word and read your Bible and, and, and pray to me before you stand before men. Now, again, I don't want to you know, condemn you guys because there are days where I don't, I don't do as well as I would like, you know, but I have a slight advantage over you because I'm a pastor. So you guys have to wake up early, and Robert probably has to be at work at 3 in the morning or whatever, 4 or 5, but he still does it, huh, Robert? 
You know, but we, you know, I'm, it's different. All I'm saying is that, you know, if you get into the Word and you have that discipline each and every day of your life, then God will teach you. Not only is the Bible something that you will learn as knowledge, but it's also a living word. It's also a working word. It's like a seed that goes into your heart. And when that seed goes into your heart and it dies, then it grows. You know, if you're struggling, I really want to encourage you because I've found it over the years. I've been a Christian now, you know, for 24 years. I just got to get into the word. Get into the word, get on my knees, and God gives me a word for the situation that I'm going through. See, all these things, they were all dealt with in the word, but what had happened was they, number one, some didn't know the word, and then number two, there were some that knew the word, but they didn't have any power, they didn't have any desire to obey the word. And so my encouragement to you is to know the word and to obey the Lord. I mean, the things that this guy did, you know, he did and he rebuilt and he raised up. And then it says in verse 4, he also built altars, notice, where? In the house of the Lord. See, now he's going farther. This is why he's the worst. Now he's going farther and he's actually building altars in the house of the Lord where the Lord has said, hey, I put my name there. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Imagine that. Building altars to pagan gods in God's temple. And then in verse 6, he made his son pass through the fire. And literally, um, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's speaking of plurality of sons. We know this is the offering up to, of their sons to the God of Molech. See, and you look at these, and he made his son, and what we find right here is that he did all these things, and it says right here that he practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists, and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. You know, one of the interesting things right here is uh, literally in the Hebrew language, um, what we find is that he made a, a ritual pit, a ritual pit. And what that is used for, was used for in those days, is to conjure up spirits. And so this is what he was doing. He had a ritual pit there, and he was conjuring up spirits. You remember when Saul met with the witch of Endor? Same root Hebrew word. She was an owner of a ritual pit. And what they were doing was they were literally conjuring up these spirits. Where? In the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord. You know, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that the congregation is the temple of God. So in the temple of God, um, in this congregation, we have to be careful that we don't allow anything in that doesn't belong. Any other spirit. You know, now, I'm not talking about a sinner, because we're going to talk about sinners. You know, you come in, and you come to the Lord, and the Bible does say in the book of Revelation that we have to give them time to repent, right? And we deal with it, and God deals with it. But, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it talked about someone who was in sin, and the church was proud of it. They weren't dealing with it. I know some churches where they are proud of the fact that 
you know, hey, we have a whole bunch of gay people here, and uh, it's not a big deal. What we want to do is we want gay people to come in, but we want them to come to the Lord, right? We give them time, and we show them love. And then, you know, eventually God does the work, and sometimes you have to go and you have to talk to somebody or confront them. So I'm not talking about that. I I think when we're talking about things coming into the temple that don't belong, I think it's different. I think it's uh, when, like, for example, um, when we're okay with sin, when we're comfortable in sin. Not only that, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that you are the temple of God. You are my life. It's my life. That's the temple now. And you want to know something when I think about like in my life? I think of my heart. I think of my heart. What does the Bible say in Psalm 66, verse 18? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear. See, you're the temple. You're the temple of God. You know, and we could maybe look thing. You know, things look good on the outside. They look really good on the outside. You know, and we and I and I find myself. I I know how to act like a Christian. I know how to put on a show. I I know how to do it. It's a little bit more difficult in front of my family, right? Because uh, you know you kind of let it loose sometimes there. But you know we know how to to do it. But what's really going on in your heart? Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, then you've committed adultery in your heart. The Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The Bible says in Psalm 139, search my heart, Lord. Show me if there's anything wicked in my heart. See, when I read about, you know, Manasseh, you know, putting those ugly things in the, in the temple, you know, I, I, I think about the church, and I think about my heart. And I have to search my heart, and we have to make sure that this church is holy. You know, what he did um, in all these things is so terrible, and it's so tragic because it says right here that God had chosen. It says right there in verse 7, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. He said, I will put my name there forever, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. You see, I think what happens a lot of times in Christian lives is, you know, The Bible has a beautiful visual in the Old Testament. When people were not really right with God, they were wandering aimlessly in circles in the wilderness. That's what they were doing. And there was the promised land. It was an 11-day journey. All they had to do was, you know, go, go that direction, you know, have some faith in God that had rescued them and had redeemed them from Egypt. But they would not live up to the Lord, and they were rebelling against Moses, and even Moses had a hard time. You know, and I, and I just wonder, you know, I know you guys, maybe on a Thursday night, you know, maybe you're doing better. I don't know. I don't know, but maybe not. And maybe that's why God brought you here tonight, just to encourage you, to tell you, you know, you don't have to wander in the wilderness 
anymore. God lives in you. God redeemed you. You are to walk on water. You are to move mountains. You are to defeat the enemy. You know, you're not supposed to get beat up by him. We do get afflicted. We do go through hard times. But when it's the Lord, we rejoice. But God says, hey, you know, I, I brought you here. I saved you. Do you remember that? You left your first love. And now what are you doing? God said, I put my name over you. But because, you know, look at all these things that they were doing. Manasseh was really bad. You're probably not as bad as him. But, you know, he just said, I don't want them to wander. Look at verse 8. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers. God wanted them in the promised land. God wanted them in the land where it's flowing with milk and honey. It's everything you need. It's everything you want. I'm not saying you're going to be rich. But God said, I, that's where, this is your land. This is your land. <laughs> God said, I just wanted you to stay there. And it's real simple. All you have to do is be uh, sincere in your walk. Again, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. He points them back to the Bible. He says, read your Bible, know your Bible, live your Bible. And, you know, as you're there, it's real simple. You know, I, I, I don't think I'm a legalistic person. I, I don't like legalism. I think that's sin, too. But I, I don't, I'm not a hedonistic person, either. I don't go to that extreme, either. I know the grace of God. I know the forgiveness and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. I know that, right? And we've got to know that. You know, but there's this, there's this walk that we should have by now. There's a life that's available to all of us. And that's all he's saying. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I mean, because no one's going to be perfect on this side of time, but I am asking you to be proper. I'm at, I am asking you to act like a godly man, like a godly woman, and you'll be an example, and you'll be used. You know, and you're going to find there'll be a lot less drama in the church. There's drama in the church, and I... And I just, you know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I guess uh, someone said the church is like Noah's Ark. Uh, it stinks <laughs> in, the, in the ark. But you know what? Hey, we're saved, right? But imagine if we all caught the vision. Imagine if we all just got our eyes back on Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine if we all, you know, uh, you know some people are going to, you know, look at them. And, you know, you know what, what the Lord told Peter? He said, don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. You get your eyes on me. You follow me. But a lot of times I think what ends up happening is uh, we get our eyes off the Lord. Because Jesus, um, he said, I, I want to keep you in this land. I don't want you to wander anymore. This was the plan that he had for them. But look at verse 9. They paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Was Manasseh an influence, yes or no? He was. Leaders are influences, right? Some people will influence you in areas that you shouldn't, you shouldn't go in. And it's kind of funny the way that they'll, 
they'll influence you. It's almost like a seduction. It's, it's weird. You have to be so careful, right? But although he was an influence, were they, could they blame it on him? No, because we all have a choice to make. So there's always that balance. If you're a leader, you're going to influence people, right? And so we need to take heed. We need to pray for our leaders. I pray that if you're a leader, that you would really take that even more seriously. Your prayer time, your time in the Word, your walk with the Lord even more seriously, right? And I also pray, however, though, that no matter who you are, maybe you're not an overseer, maybe you're just an under rower. It doesn't matter. You guys don't be led astray. You know, these guys, God, God warned them, or we're going to see, he, he, he brings these prophets, but they didn't pay attention. And so we read in verse 10, the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And so it's interesting, when you read the history of Israel, what you find is that God had been warning them for many years, but uh, they weren't listening. And then when Manasseh came in, it was as if God said, you're responsible. What you're doing now is because of your sin, I'm going to judge my people. There's another lesson for us right there. And it's, it's a heavy lesson. You know, because we're so used to God's grace. Right? We're so used to, like, the Lord, you know, he's just going to cover it up. And everything's going to be just like it was before. And he talked to Samson. It didn't work that way. We got to fear the Lord. You know, Manasseh, in Jeremiah chapter 15, in verse 4, it says that he was responsible for the children of Israel in their being carried away. It says, I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. We read the same thing in Second Kings 23, verse 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. You see, I mean, one person can make a difference for good or evil, right? You know, I was talking to my son about this the other day, and I don't know if you guys, uh, I don't know if this is a good illustration, but I'm going to share it with you anyways, okay? Um, 1986 World Series, um, the Boston Red Sox are up by two. I don't know if you guys remember this game or not, but you might want to help me out on this. Uh, the last inning. I mean, they were, they were, there was two outs, nobody on, a couple of hits, a wild pitch. Next thing you know, the game is tied. And then what ends up happening, you guys remember what happened? Um, the ball was hit to the first baseman. 
The first baseman, does anybody remember his name? Bill Buckner. Yeah, went right between his legs. And guess what happened? The New York Mets won. They were one strike away. Boston Red Sox were one strike away from winning the World Series. But it went between, I mean, the professional baseball players' legs. And so in, in one sense, everybody said, it's his fault, right? I mean, he should have made that play. And again, it, it doesn't always work that way. Of course, we know that there was a wild pitch prior to that. Uh, we know that, you know, other things could have happened. It was just a tie game at the time. But in a, in a roundabout sense, we kind of need to see it that way. See? Do you see? Do you see how important it is for you and I? Do we realize how important it is for us to live holy lives? Because, you know what? That might actually be what, what seals the deal. I know it's hard. I know you're thinking, yeah, but Manny Grace, and yeah, but Manny the Cross, and yeah, but Manny got his long-suffering. All that applied to Israel. But then the day came where God said, enough, right? Enough. God is so good to us. You know, and God's so good to Israel, he's not going to let them go. He's still going to deal with them, right? They're still his people, right? But we have to have a healthy fear of God. And so what ends up happening? You know, when you look at this whole thing, God says, hey, I'm going to bring such calamity in verse 12 that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And the Hebrew word talks about a ringing in the ears that doesn't go away. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Now, God said, I'm going to bring judgment. Now, it's interesting, in, in the Hebrew language, the word plummet, he speaks of a plumb line. Now, for those of you who know construction, you know that plumb lines are used for detailed construction, not destruction. But what we find God is saying is that when I judge, I will judge in such a detailed way, there will absolutely be no escape. What we find right here is interesting, the word right here, and speaking of the plumb line, it says the measuring line and plumb line are normally used in building a structure, not tearing it down. But here they are used ironically as metaphors of judgment, emphasizing that he will give careful attention to the task of judgment. Question, you guys. Where does judgment begin? You guys know this one, right? It begins in the house of the Lord. Right? Especially when you got things in the house of the Lord that don't belong. You got hearts that are not right. You got attitudes that are not right. You got people who don't have their eyes on Christ. You got people who are complaining. You got people who are the mixed multitude. And it's all there. We read about it in the scriptures. And God says, enough. God says, listen, you got to listen to me because look at the examples that I give. I'm going to you know, and he, it's funny how he uses the illustration here of uh, wiping a dish. I don't pay that much attention when I wash dishes, but um, some of you ladies probably do, right? And just as one wipes a plate, wiping it and turning it on its face, the word picture emphasizes how thoroughly the Lord will judge the city. 
And, of course, we know he eventually did, right? Look what he says in verse 14. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Notice, because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers. Notice how long? Since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Remember we were talking about that earlier? You've been a Christian for how long, and God's been dealing with you for how long, and you're still that way? And God says it shouldn't be that way. You should be different. You should be like me. That's it. You know, I don't want to be, like I told you either, I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be hedonistic. I want to be like Jesus. And that's why in my life I read my Gospels every single day. I read through my Bible, I read my Psalms, I read my Proverbs, but I read my Gospel every single day. I want to I be reading about the life of Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. He was so holy. He was so holy, so, such a friend to sinners. Everything about him, I want to be like Jesus, right? And so right here, they were, like, they were this way the whole time. In verse 16, it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood, Notice, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, there was this violence. There was blood. Um, just this guy was, he was really, really, really bad, right? Really bad. And again, it mentions right here the responsibility that he had in influencing the people for evil. And so there you are and you're a parent. Or there you are and you're a leader. And you're thinking, well, I'm preaching it. I'm preaching it to them, right? You know, and I told them to, you know, go to that, you know, whatever, that Christian event or that Christian school. I don't know. But see, we gotta we gotta live it, right? We have to be that. Right? Otherwise we're gonna be a negative influence upon them. So we read in verse 17 that the rest of the acts of Manasseh all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. And so, you know, it's interesting in reading this right here that um, I, I think in one sense what we have is just how bad he was. How bad this guy was, huh? You guys, did you guys get that, how bad he is? Okay, but is that the end of the story? That's not the end of the story, huh? This is so cool. Uh, go over to Second Chronicles chapter 33. In verse 9. It says, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the kings of Assyria and took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now in the Assyrian kingdom back then, they had two capitals. One of them was actually Babylon. Now, when he was in affliction, here it is. 
Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. See, I, I like that because it's kind of like a buildup, like this guy was so bad, he was so bad, he was so bad. Imagine that they took him and they carried him off. According to history, they took 22 kings off to Assyria, put him in Babylon. But what did he do? He came to that place that he needed to come to. Like Angel was talking about earlier, being broken, completely broken, absolutely surrendered, no more self-righteousness, no more wickedness. It was a place where God want, God, this is where God wants us to be. Absolute surrender. I'm completely yours. Not my will, but your will be done. And it, it took this. Thank God, though, that he turned to the Lord. And I guess I want to close today with a word of encouragement. Maybe you have failed up to this point. But do you see how God is the God of the second chance? Do you see that? How God is the God of the second chance. How there's no one that's too bad. You know, that's why the Lord picks some of the worst guys, you know. Some of these pastors, you know, really, really bad. Uh, for example, um, Paul, right, formerly known as Saul. He was really bad. This guy killed Christians. He caused them to blaspheme. He persecuted the church. And what did God do? God made him his foremost apostle. See? And, and I guess to, wherever, to whatever degree that we're here tonight and we find ourselves, maybe we've failed, maybe we've fallen short. The thing is, is that we have to humble ourselves, you guys. Don't say I'm doing good when you're not. You know, just say, you know what? I'm falling short. Pray for me. God, do a new work in my life. Humble yourself. The Bible says that he was afflicted. And you know what's so cool? When you read the scriptures, it talks about the, you know, just the blessing of being afflicted. A real, real common verse is over in Psalm 119, verse 67. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Now I keep your word. Right? Now I love my wife as Christ loved the church and died for her. Now, you know, I wake up early in the morning like Jesus. I get up before the sun. I kill my alarm clock. And I have my devotions. Now, I don't look at pornography. Now, I don't want to drink anymore. Now, I don't waste my time anymore. Now, I don't waste God's money anymore. Now, I'm a different person. And you're going to see that in Manasseh. Look at verse 14. He built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. He enclosed Ophel and he raised it. He fortified Jerusalem to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and 
Jerusalem. He cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded, I like this, commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Of course, you can't command people to. You know, I mean, you can, but they have to make that choice. But now, his whole life is, is changed. And I, and I just want to encourage you guys, um, somehow, some way, you've got to get with the Lord and you've got to ask him how your life might be different. You know, some practical ways in which you connect the dots and, and you make those changes. Let's go back to uh, Second Kings and then we'll finish this chapter. It says, verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jotba, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. See, that's a bummer. That's a bummer, huh? Because although, you know, Manasseh experienced the forgiveness of sins, you reap what you sow. You know, there's a neat scripture in the Bible. It says that, you know, God is the God who forgives, but he takes vengeance on our deeds. We have to fear the Lord. You know, again, every child is is got to make the choice, but... Let's try to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, and, and, and so he says in verse 20, he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon and then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. And then Josiah, his son, took his place. Heavy warnings, you guys. Tonight as we have communion, um, and a simple message, you know, I wasn't in complex in any way. I just pray that we would be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That no one here, um, myself included, you know, a hundred times over, would miss this opportunity to really ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart. Lord, if there's anything in me that needs to change, Lord, let today be the day. I don't want to learn, you know, through affliction. I mean, if necessary, so be it. But I want to learn through instruction. God does not want us wandering in the wilderness any longer. If you're a Christian, then he has given us that victory. And I pray that we would walk in that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, so much, Lord God, for allowing us to study your word together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your beautiful people. Lord, I know that, you know, for some, maybe... Um, this is the night that you're just calling us to more, more of you, less of us. You must increase. I must decrease. Lord, help us to fear you. Help us to love you. Help us to know you. Help us to get into the word and let your word get into us. And as we partake of communion tonight, Lord, I pray with all my heart that, Lord, you would do a great work, a glorious work in your church in our hearts and, and I do pray for everyone here tonight I pray for them you know where they're at you know what they're going through 
you know, the battles that they're even having, maybe even right now in their mind. But I also just want to pray for myself, Lord. I want to take this time, Lord, please help me. Touch me. Fill me. Minister to me as well, Lord. I pray. In Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.